Shri Guru Vaishnav Guru Parampara ki jai. Shri Radhasthami Mahamutapatiti ki jai. Gaud Premanandi. So come closer. Come on. Like a little room. <laughs> So welcome, everyone. Today is the auspicious uh, day of the... to we commemorate the appearance of Radha, the uh, counter-whole of Krishna. The better half. <laughs> so it's a big... Uh, theological uh, subject, and um, we have been talking about it here and there the last couple of days. Today I am going to speak a little bit from the Bhagavad Purana, Srimad Bhagavatam, which is an, in many respects the theological sequel to the Bhagavad Gita. The Bhagavad Gita, Krishna is speaking to his Grand the warrior Arjuna, and he gives him spiritual intellect with which to proceed on the course of uh, devotion, on the path of love, so a wise kind of love. What the Bhagavatam is, um, is uh, the, the, well, the Gita is this one hour-long conversation between Krishna and Arjuna. Arjuna's asking the questions and Krishna's giving the answers. The Bhagavatam is the whole life of Krishna. That, that is one hour, the Gita is one hour of. Hmm? And the, the bhakti, the devotion, the wise love that the Gita is uh, recommending to, uh, in, that the Gita is recommending is um, uh, played out in the texts of the Bhagavatam. So, it is a book of about about essentially about Leela, about the divine play of the Godhead with his associates who must be extraordinary mystics and yogis to be so intimately associated um, with him as to play with God as if he is their friend, as if he is their lover and so forth. Hmm? And uh, so, such is the power of Bhakti, and Radharani is the Devi, the queen, the goddess of, of Bhakti. So, in every Bhakta, in every devotee, there's a little bit of Radha, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, you have Krishna, and you have us, the fire and the spark, and then there's a channel between the two that is Radha, that is venerated by both, by Krishna. Uh, who is venerated by Krishna and by the by the devotee? So, again, it's a huge topic. We only touch on it briefly, and in uh, in doing so, with reference to Srimad Bhagavatam, which uh, arguably is uh, really all about Radha. That's curious because. The book is entitled Srimad Bhagavatam, and Bhagavat means God, uh, and, and here it refers to Krishna, the full kind of heart of the Hindu uh, divinity. You have Buddha as the head, and 
and different avatars representing different aspects of the divinity. Krishna is the romantic heart of the absolute. So the book's about him. Hmm. It would be. It would appear from the name uh, of the book, but the word Srimad, Srimad Bhagavatam, Srimad Sri refers to, means beauty, and um, it's a reference to Radha. So the book is really a book about love of Krishna, not Krishna. Of course, you can't have Krishna without love of Krishna, but... Uh, a book about love of Krishna and love of Krishna reaches its apex in in the uh, in the queen of bhakti, hmm? Sri Radha. So the book is really about Radha's love for Krishna, and Radha is that love. She is the personification of that love. It's referred to sometimes as Mahabhava Swarupini. You've heard the term bhava. People wear the T-shirts. Be in the bhav. It takes a little more than wearing a T-shirt to enter into that, uh, such spiritual emotions. Uh, and uh, and Mahabhav, Maha means great, so the great, the full form of bhava or ecstasy, and she's just not wearing a t-shirt. She is, her body is the form of ecstasy itself. Ecstasy, love has a shape hmm? in order that it might uh, express itself, just like art requires a pen and a canvas in order for us to appreciate, to take advantage of. That's all? Hmm. And so, love has a form. Hmm. We tend to think sometimes of form as being a limiting uh, Uh, something that li- limits us. Hmm? And we think if we could be formless, for example, we could be invisible, we could go everywhere, no one would, we wouldn't be limited. Uh, and so, but form can just as well be understood as facilitating rather than limiting. So, you know, this is a good example. I couldn't drink the water without the form of the cup in this situation to facilitate so form need not be a limitation. And while material form, our material bodies may limit us, they, they only last for so long. Um, and they are something that exists within time and space, so they're temporal and, and, and spatial by nature. Where the self is not, then we may think to transcend the body and realize ourselves as being independent of time and space, unborn, never dying, and so forth. It means to enter into a formless uh, reality. But according to the teaching of the Gita and the Bhagavat, there is another side to form, spiritual form, as I'm speaking about, the very form of love expressing itself. So, Radha is said to be that Mahabhav Swarupini. Swarupini means here form. It's a feminine Swarupini, feminine form. The very form of the greatest ecstasy, the love that Krishna as the object of love corresponds with. So 
So you have love, like a vessel of love, and then you have the object of love. The two can are kind of inseparable. There's there's no meaning to uh, being a lover, uh, object of love, unless someone loves you. <laughs> and there's no meaning to loving unless there's an object to repose one's love in. So there's a there's a kind of a dynamic unity or non-dualism between Radha and Krishna, even while there is Radha and Krishna, which seems like two. The two are one, and they're different at the same time, like love and the object of love. Hmm. So, so this is the, really the, uh, the subject of, of, of Srimad Bhagavatam. And there is a center uh, to, the, to the Bhagavatam narrative of Krishna's life, if you will. <clears throat> and uh, that center is the five chapters called Ras Panchajai. It may also be called the Radha Upanishad. Upanishad means a, a form of revelation. Upanishad means to come and sit sit close. Sit close, the implication of which is that I might tell you a secret. I might give you, whisper something into your ear that's uncommon, uncommon knowledge. Hmm? That the common, the general people are not interested in, preoccupied as they are with the call of the of the world, so to speak. Hmm? I saw a, uh, a, a this nice idea of uh, how to share these teachings. It was a picture of a monk hmm? sitting on the on a, on the in the public in the street, and he had a sign. It said. Inquire within, <laughs> and then it said, "Ask a monk you know, any subject, yeah, any subject." That was a great way to to share. Hmm. Hmm. So, the most of the, the inquiries in in our life is full of inquiries, or outward inquiries: how to acquire something, how to become more by acquisition, or just how questions, how to do this, how to do that, how to avoid this, how to take advantage of that, how to eat, how to sleep better, how to have better sex, how to protect yourself. The inward questions are the why questions. They're more difficult. Why am I? Why purpose questions, meaning, and so forth. And these are questions that, that, that the objective world can't answer because they're about the subjective self, where where why comes up, meaning, value, hmm, lies in consciousness. So these questions have to be answered from the consciousness world, from the deep within the subjective world. And the Upanishads' revelation is a is a, is an outward expression from the inner world, so to speak. It's thought that the the, the rishis the, they heard in meditation in in by their inner inquiry, sounds hmm, that uh, that are not uh, audible to the uh, to the to the physical ear, that told them something about the nature of existence and being and, and reality, hmm? and so then these Upanishads were manifest and given names according to the Rishi who manifested. Or to the God, or the aspect of God that was that they realized through uh, inner sound, and so the Upanishad was named after that form of the God or the Goddess and that aspect of divinity, and 
and so forth. So, um, if you understand this idea, as I'm explaining it, of revelation, you can also understand it's an ongoing affair. So, Upanishads can come in the present as well. Hmm? They're, they're not going to differ from substantially from previous revelation, but they may be a growth of that or a further development of that. Hmm. So this revelation is, is, is not something where you just turn the page 108 and there's the answer and, and, and for all circumstances. Um, my Guru Maharaj used to compare such texts to the law books, which when you first hear it, sounds like, okay, we got the laws. Now we know all the answers. They're here, but law books are actually written on an ongoing basis. And we refer to the ones that have been written in new circumstances to determine what the law will be in that circumstance. So if you go into the court and say, Your Honor, I think and I feel and I really hope that my client is not guilty. I rest my case. It's probably not going to resonate with the judge as well as if you say, Your Honor, I think that the law said this on this date and the law said this on this date and another date the law said this and based on this, I think he's guilty. Mm-hmm. And that the law should be interpreted in this way. That will have more credibility. Hmm? And then a new law, so to speak, or a new way of applying the law and understanding its uh, nuanced uh, application, implication, and so forth. So in this way, this example that my Guru Marsh gave, properly understood, speaks about the idea that revelation is an ongoing type of affair. Those who go within, they can come without. They can come out with it, so to speak. Hmm? And such association is, is valuable for us. So here, this section of the Bhagavatam, that's kind of the apex of it, the climax of it, hmm? the Raspanchajai, the five chapters about uh, Krishna's uh, romantic life, where Radha takes a central place, it's sometimes also referred to as the Radha Upanishad. Hmm? The Bhagavatam describes itself as Shutisara Mekam. Saram means cream. Shuti means that which is heard, and it means with the inner ear, from that inner inquiry. Hmm? It's not something that's made up, but it's actually there and it's heard. I've given an example at other times, like mathematics. There are equations that are thought to be, by the majority of mathematicians, discovered that explain nature rather than invented by mathematicians. I recently saw the movie of uh, this uh, Ramanujan, Srinivas Ramanujan, Indian mathematical uh, genius from, I think, maybe the, the previous century, maybe around 19, 1920, some, 19, just before World War I, I believe. He became a fellow in, the, uh, in Oxford or something like that although he was thought, what can come from India, was thought by the British and so forth. But he would, in, he would worship and meditate, and he would see equations. And so he would come and say, I've got a new, and he'd write it all out, of course. And they said, well, how do we know this is true? He said, it's true, I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> and then they would do the proofs, and it would, it would, it would show up. Sometimes the proofs would show that it was just not quite right. He only partially saw it, didn't see the whole thing. And then they... So he was very um, 
a genius person. And uh, I mean, he was like on the level of the as far as mathematical, scientific geniuses like um, the Newton and so forth. Young man died at a very young, young age. But the point is that he he experienced mathematical equations that spoke about the nature of the world. So there are similarly there are sounds. Mantras are like equations, mm-hmm. and the inquiry, inner inquiry can, they can be heard and then spoken and recorded and so forth. This is a revelation. So this Bhagavatam center of the Bhagavatam, these five chapters dealing with the really the kind of the consummation of the relationship of Radha and Krishna is sometimes referred to and appropriately so as the Radha Upanishad. Hmm? That said, um, again, the book is ostent- is arguably all about Radha, Sri Bhagavatam. so right, I explained that, the Radha Upanishad, so on and so forth. Um, then it, the, the question often comes when we make this case, and I've just made it briefly, that the Bhagavat is, is all about Radha's love for Krishna. We can make a larger case as far as the Indian uh, sacred texts go, that this Bhagavat is the center hub around which all these texts orbit and in relation to are properly understood, the context. Uh-huh. In context, uh, that's a that's another argument. Arguments have been made over the centuries for for that, according to the time and place. Jiva Goswami gave a very extraordinary argument as to the central place of Bhagwat, hmm, Srimad Bhagavatam, in the context of the Hindu uh, sacred text or revelation. We could give a contemporary one today, leaving aside even all those arguments which are valuable in themselves, but just from the richness of the language in Sanskrit, um, it's different than all of the other Puranas. Purana means also, if, 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 to use the argument of Jiva Goswami, it means that which fulfills. So the, the esoteric way in which the Upanishads speak, the Puranas speak about it through narratives and stories that makes it more accessible. Hmm? Um, but the, amongst the Puranic narratives, Bhagavatam, in, in the nature of its language, it's very sophisticated, and, and it's, it's all poetic, practically. Very few prose verses. So take deep philosophy and theology and write it out in poetry. This is quite, a, quite an uh, achievement. The subject is very rich and attractive. The, the play the play of Krishna. So, so it's been translated in many, all Indian, Indian dialects all over the subcontinent of India, all uh, in now in many uh, other languages of the world and so on and so forth. And um, Anyway, it's it's got maybe 80 or 100 Sanskrit commentaries to it, elaborating on it, the implications of the text. It's been given a lot of attention. If you compare to other Puranas and so forth, I mean, who, Wrote a, how many commentaries are there in the Shiva Purana or the Kurma Purana? Or comparatively, there are, there are none on so many of them. So, so it's a very rich uh, text, and theologically, it's. I mean, if you want to compare it, um, uh, let's compare it to the the Quran or the Bible or the Lotus Sutra or something like that. 
if you do an objective comparison. There is no comparison. That's not to make light of those texts. They're important. But again, this is a text that's speaking about the romantic heart of the absolute. So it's pretty incredible. Um, if you want to talk about the head of the absolute, that's an interesting thing, and Buddha's done a good job there. Uh, but to talk about his heart, that's like, and it's a romantic one, that's a wild uh, ride, so to speak. So uh, compelling. Um, so the Bhagwat. Uh, and it's, as we were arguing, really properly understood all about Radha. It's not that it's been understood in that way entirely historically, but there's a reason for that. The reason for that, that is that is what it's about. Hmm? Is if we look deeply in these chapters, we find Krishna is in, in esoteric crisis, kind of a kind of a kind of a. I want to say a, what is the word? Um, Existential crisis. Who am I? Hmm? I mean, people say I'm God. Yogis meditate on me, and so forth. But uh, that said, I find myself within myself a worshipable attitude towards Radha. Hmm. So what's going on here? Hmm? Everybody's worshiping me, but they don't know it. But this is how I feel about Radha. And so, am I, am I God? Is she God? Why everybody says I am? So he's in this crisis. Hmm? Of course, he penetrates deeply on it in meditation, and Krishna understands there's something in me that she sees that only she can see, and that's what makes her the way she is. That makes her attractive to me. So it is in me, that but it but it's but it's found through her bhakti, and so Krishna wants to experience himself from her vantage point, which then requires another extended lila. That is the lila of Sri Chaitanya where Radha and Krishna combine. Hmm? And so it is in the context of that lila, the Chaitanya Bhagwat, for example, that we can really understand what's going on in Srimad Bhagavatam. And that will only manifest that understanding when that lila manifests. This happened some 500 years ago, the Chaitanya lila and the Chaitanya Bhagwa and so forth. And so the students in that school, the teachers in that school, have brought out the richness, the depth of the Bhagavatam and demonstrated therein that this book is all about Radha's love for Krishna, properly understood. And it's very startling when you hear it. I mean, when you hear it explained, you think, yeah, well, it must be. That must be what it's about. But for centuries, it wasn't understood. Hmm? So it's waiting, so to speak, to be explained. Hmm? by the players in the text itself, so to speak. Yeah. Krishna, Radha, Rupa Goswami, and so forth. Hmm? Now, that said, in doing so, they made their case that the book is about, all about Radha, really. Hmm? That Krishna himself is all about, and who's orbiting around. Hmm? It means God is orbiting around Bhakti. Bhakti has the power, love has the power, to subjugate God. Hmm? And make God like, like, like your lover, like your friend, like your child, something like that, which are different types of love, parental love, fraternal love, romantic love. We generally don't think that we can have that kind of love with God. We can have this reverential love, or we make God less than a person, and it's just something out there that we just think about and meditate on and, 
and we stop we stop lusting and in in other things and and we 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 stop taking and that's part of loving but it's not the whole face of it so this is a revolutionary idea hmm? this full face of love that you can love god like a friend like a lover hmm? rod is showing the example and so forth so it's a theologically very very um, interesting hmm? and uh, that said we can make a strong argument like this i'm just going over it briefly someone may reply that's very interesting, but then why Radha's name is not mentioned in the book? You say it's all about Radha. Her name is not even mentioned in the book. So we have to answer that, that question. There's a good reason for that. Hmm? Good reason for that. Many reasons, actually. Hmm? Uh, and one of the first uh, replies, if you will, coming from the tradition is, well, her name is mentioned there indirectly. Hmm? So let me go to the verse where her name is mentioned indirectly. And we'll explore that a little bit. And then we'll have to answer, well, still, why indirectly? Why not directly? It's almost like if it's really all about Radha, you'd think her name would really be, would be mentioned directly. Hmm? So... Maybe you're just stretching the interpretation and so forth. Of course, I've given a lot of reason as to why we come to that conclusion, but we'll answer it regard to the verse as well. Here's the verse. This verse is uh, coming in a section, again, of the Bhagavatam, where Krishna... It's been building up. Krishna takes birth. He, his parental love is, is showcased hmm, in his Kumar, Leela, his early life, one to five. And then he becomes a, a, a boy and his friendly love with his friends, cowherding and all these playful, sportive um, Leelas are played out. And, and meanwhile, Radha has also appeared. Hmm? And, and she appears on the, on the day in Krishna's astrological chart that is the happiest day of his life. Radha makes her appearance. It's one, one year and a, and a couple of weeks after he appears. Hmm. Beautiful descriptions of, of, of how the, the pastoral uh, uh, realm of Vrindavan starts to change so without directly mentioning her name. But it, uh, because she is the goddess of a fortune, so it makes the place abundant and so forth. So he, she has friends, of course, as well, and Krishna ha, is, is a romantic type of a guy, so he uh, has uh, uh, occasion to speak with the, the milkmaidens here and there and express some affection, but it hasn't reached a point where they actually can meet in private and talk about it and, and share their uh, their feelings for one another and so forth. So it's in this chapter that this happens. It's an autumn moon, hmm? full moon, the autumn season. It's very beautiful, the, the ha- harvest season, which is a season of fullness and bounty 
and so forth. So there's an overflowing, with if you will, within nature, and Krishna is overflowing with rasa, with with a taste for love, and he takes his flute, which he's been was gifted by Shiva, and he he plays his flute, and he had been practicing it, and he can do wonderful things with it. And he plays one note, water, which moves, becomes still. And land, which remains still, moves. He said, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. He plays his flute, and the cows give milk. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And so he has these wonderful uh, mystical effects from playing on the flute. And he thinks, if I could play the flute in such a way that she would become attracted. That would be the perfection of my flute playing. So he's practicing for that purpose. And all these other miraculous effects are um, uh, coming coming about. Hmm. And so this, in this night, it looks good. He's practiced, he plays, and these milkmaidens, they hear the flute in the middle of the night. Um, and it's not that they're not, they've got other things to do, household duties and so on and so forth. 108 reasons not to follow the sound of that flute from a religious and moral point of view and in the context of the village and the, the leela, the drama, and so forth. Um, uh, but they go. Hmm. So this is, this is diksha. Initiation, the flute sound of Krishna, this is the mantra. Our mantra comes from there, the Gayatri, Ganatrayate. Gana means song and Trayate means deliverance, the song of deliverance, the flute sound of Krishna. It's a prototype of all the Vedic mantras, Gayatri. In Gita, Krishna says, of hymns I am the Gayatri. So, they hear the sound, and and it's calling the, their own their own name, so to speak, their own hearts. It's going in the heart and penetrating, and and so they follow it. They follow the mantra, and into the dead of the night, into the forest. This is a place where there are tigers in the middle of the night, guided only by the by the by the by the effulgence of the full moon. And they meet Krishna, and Krishna says, "What are you doing here? You shouldn't be here." And he gives all types of reasons from a religious point of view why they shouldn't be there. Then he gives reasons from a point of view of 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 gyan, of of spiritual knowledge, why they shouldn't be here. Religion means the moral life where we're active in the world, and take God into consideration for improving our situation in the world. We want a better, we want a heavenly life. We want a good wife. We want a, a good husband, uh, a better job or whatever. So we ask God for that. Hmm. We, we try to live morally and that God will be pleased and we'll get things. God give us our daily bread. Hmm. So a wise person thinks, what am I asking God for bread for? Hmm. Bread won't solve the hunger problem. It'll mitigate it for a moment, but it'll come back. 
It doesn't matter how much I eat, how many meals I have. Hunger won't be stopped. Hunger is a problem in the world. It won't be stopped no matter how much food there is. It'll always come again. Hmm? It'll always come again. So there must be... So the fulfillment that I seek, hmm, that I lack, that hunger, thirst, whatever so many other things are symptoms of... Hmm? I want to cure the disease rather than the symptom. And the disease is, as the Buddha, the wise Buddha said, the thirst for things is the cause of suffering. Hmm? We thirst for them, that's suffering. We make effort to get them, we might not. And if we do get them, they turn out often to be less than what we thought, or worse. Hmm? So even the happiness of it through acquisition... hmm? eventually turns into sorrow when we can't keep it any longer because all acquisition is temporary. All things are here today and gone tomorrow. The wise person, the Buddha says, the best things in life are not things. Hmm? So the pursuit of things, even and asking God for them, in one sense, is the height of ignorance. Things are the problem. <laughs> hmm? We've identified with things which are here today and gone tomorrow, but we want to live forever. And we want to live happily forever. And those things inherently have no happiness in them. There's no, there's no inherent happiness in things. Only when we project ourselves into the thing and think it's mine, it makes us happy. So what makes us happy is us. Hmm? The self. The atma. Hmm? So the wise person thinks, ah, give up religion. Hmm? You can't be happy with religion. But the moral life it's not a bad thing, but it's not the capital G good, the capital H happiness. No. That lies within. So rather than moving here and there to collect, it, it takes to the contemplative life to sit and to know, to know that I am. Hmm? To know that having is not what being is really about. The sense of being derived from having is as vacuous, as empty as the having is, because we really never own anything. Hmm? Empty. So, to be full in the self. Hmm? So to cease movement and become still. But do we want to be still forever? Hmm? To know is one thing, and to be peaceful as a result of it. Hmm? But to love is another thing. That requires movement. Love is about movement. Hmm? So in bhakti, we went from karma, the moral life, to jnana, to knowledge, now to bhakti. In bhakti, there is movement and there is knowing. Hmm? It's a wise kind of love. Hmm? So, this is the subject of Bhagavad bhakti it's about uh, uh, wise love wise movement hmm? um, so the gopis they heard the sound of Krishna's flute he went Krishna said you shouldn't be here from a karmic point of view it's bad karma to run out and forgo your household duties and meet a young guy in the middle of the night and, hey I'm just sitting here why did you come and he's got his flute stuffed in his 
inside of his 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 his, his, his dhoti. <laughs> And they just kind of listen, okay. And 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 then he speaks from the point of view of of Gyan. from from the wisdom school. You shouldn't be here either. Hmm? So karma and Gyan, these are really kind of two sides of material life. And that karma means to acquire and get the result. Hmm? You take, so now you owe. And gyan means to stop taking. So we, in our everyday life, we acquire and we get all worked up to pursue something and then we, we realize it's not all it's cracked up to be and we want to give it up. So this is called tya, boga and tyag, taking and giving up, taking and giving up. We kind of go back and forth between these two things. Then there are sophisticated paths given in the sacred text to hone the taking or to hone the giving up. But each of these are worldly-centered. One wants to take the world, one wants to give up the world. Isn't there a way to be in the world and not take from it? Hmm? You won't be afraid of that person. Hmm? To live in the world, but not be of the world. Hmm? So this is bhakti. Hmm? You can say the contemplative lives in the world, but is not in the world, but you're really not in the world either. You're sitting on the mountain, <laughs> taking part. You see the leela of Krishna. He's full part, fully participating in all the kinds of love that people experience, you know, partially hmm, deluded as they are, and, and thinking these are my kids, this is my husband, that's my wife. This is a shadow. The ideas of the substance of real love that can be experienced when it's properly centered on the perfect object of love, which is what Krishna represents. Hmm? So, the gopis hear these arguments from the point of view of karma and gyan from Krishna, why they shouldn't be here. Hmm? Krishna's testing them. Because bhakti should be devoid of karmic aspirations or the aspirations for gyan, hmm? just for knowing. Hmm? Having, this is the karmic realm, being, no, having, knowing, knowing is synonymous with being, as I'm explaining it. Having, knowing, and loving. Hmm? Being sounds good in relation to having, because we don't really have anything. And when we think we ha- our being or sense of existence is derived from having, it's very empty and shallow. Hmm? So being sounds full in comparison. Hmm? But as we know. It's better to exist to love than to love to exist. So just to love being, uh, it's not as good as, just to love existing, it's not as good as existing just to love. That is bhakti. So, in our bhakti, our aspiration, if you will, for bhakti, our ideal of bhakti, is devoid of the problems, if you will, that I'm bringing up in relation to the ideal of karma or the idea of of gyan. Hmm? How they fall short, so to speak. Hmm? So Krishna says, from the point of view of karma, you shouldn't be here. Hmm? He doesn't say it like that, but 
that's the implication of what he, what he, what he says. From the point of view of, of being, of, of, of wisdom, you shouldn't be here either. Hmm? But they take his words and they, and they defeat him in the conversation. Hmm? And they show him that they're not there for either of those reasons. And so then the, 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 the union commences. Okay, so, but then, just as it begins, in the context of a, of a dance, it's called the rasa dance, this particular type of, 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 of uh, circular dance in Indian culture, uh, suddenly Krishna disappears from the midst of the gopis. He's with thousands of them. It appears like he's, each one thinks he's with her only. Hmm. And then he disappears. And so they are now plunged from union into separation, like from the high tide to the low tide. And this low tide is part of the leela that causes the desire for union to increase. And so at least it moves in this way, like two banks of the river, union and separation, union and separation. So the union, the separation is there to make the union all that it is, to enhance it, to, to ornament it, and so forth. Hmm? So they're plunged into separation, and so then they seek to remedy it, and they look for him. And these are rural people, village people, simple people. They appear unknowing. Hmm? Hmm? They don't know all the scriptures. They just love Krishna. Hmm? We look underneath, we see they know quite a bit, actually. So anyway, so they, they just like, uh, like uh, you know, the natives, they see his footprints and they see a broken branch here and there. So this is how they're following Krishna hmm? in, a, in a very down-to-earth way. Look, this branch is broken. He went by here. Here's, oh, there are his footprints. Hmm? And so one gopi goes, are those, oh, don't, another, she's brushing, is that his footprint? Don't touch that. Look at that footprint. Just look at the contours of that. And then they go into a trance, just looking at his footprints and, and, and analyzing the lines on the bottom of his feet that have been imprinted in the ground. And all that it says, astrologically, for example, or from a, from a what do you call it, a um, palm of what's the bigger one? Um, physiognomy. From a physiognomical (laughs) perspective, right? The face is the index of the mind type of perspective. So what's on the... You can read the palms. You can read the bottom of the feet and so forth. You can read the facial expressions of people. Tell something about their their inner mental, emotional life. So they're looking at his footprints and it's telling them the things that they already feel and the reasons that they're there, there's reasoning in the bottom of his, on the bottom of his feet. There's wisdom. It's like the scriptures are written on the bottom of his feet. What kind of person is, is this? And so, don't touch those. And, okay, anyway, we have to proceed. Let's follow them. This is how they're going through the, through the night by the moonlight, right? Hmm? <laughs> it's a secret place, right? And so, uh, so that then, then suddenly we come to this verse. They suddenly, one of the one of the handmaidens, milkmaidens, she says, "Look, there's another set of footprints here." Hmm? 
Bhagavan Harishwara. So the 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 and uh, these girls, hmm, they're very special. Hmm? Mm. They were already acquaint they were acquainted with the bottoms of the feet of Radha. Hmm? Now that's peculiar. Hmm? Yeah. A certain type of uh, of uh, gopi, if you will, milk milk maiden. Hmm? And they said, "Look, there's another Anaya Raditonunam, Bhagavan Haridishwara. Anaya means another, and Aradita, Aradhana means worship. Aradhana. So the name Radha is derived from Aradhana, to worship." What they're saying in the Sanskrit is here, Aniyaradito Nunam. This other one, Nunam, certainly, it means with, uh, with, with, with certainty, worshipped hmm, Bhagavan, Hari, Ishwara. These are all names for God. Bhagavan, the supreme being, Hari, he who steals everything away, takes everything away. We can't keep anything because everything belongs to him. It only appears he's taking away. It belongs to God. Hmm? Ishvara means the controller. They say, she worshipped God better better than anybody else. Therefore, therefore God is, is pleasing her and giving her the capacity to, like his capacity, Hari, to steal away Krishna from us. Hmm? And she worshipped Ishwar, so she has the power. Ishwar means controller, it's a name for God. She's got the power to control Krishna hmm? in her life. Hmm? And so, yo yanno bihaya govindu prito yamanayadraha. Therefore, she has been able to captivate him and steal him away, and he's taken her to a secret raha, secret place, this Govinda. It's very interesting because they're using Bhagavan, Hari, and Ishwara. These are all names for God. They apply to Krishna, but they're not thinking of Krishna as God. They're referring to Krishna as Govinda here. Hmm? It means who gives pleasure to the cows. Hmm? Uh, it's a coward name for Krishna. They're not, they don't think that Krishna is God. They think that Radha has worshipped God, and therefore God has made it possible for Krishna, for her to captivate Krishna in a way that the other gopis, the other milkmaidens could not. Therefore, she has worshipped, she's the best worshipper. Hmm? So it's a very nice statement and it's a statement in which the name Radha is mentioned indirectly. Anayaradik, the best worshipper. Hmm? The ideal of, 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 of devotion itself. Hmm? Uh, and now, we before we explain this a little further, but still, we say, well, but why why say it indirectly? Why not say it directly? Here it's said indirectly. Why not say it directly? We'll get to that. But let's look at the leela a little bit. What's happening here? So, these girls have understood these footprints hmm, to be those. Of, well, obviously, there's another footprints, and they're they're a, a, a woman's footprints. But these girls, they know whose footprints they are. Hmm? It means this special kind of gopi. 
Hmm? It means these gopis, they all love Krishna romantically. Hmm? But amongst them, Radha's worship is the most complete. Indeed, these different gopis are thought to be different emotional aspects of Radha personified. Hmm? So in love and romance, there's all types of different temperaments and sentiments that might arise. So she manifests one milkmaid, another milkmaid, just like Krishna has different avatars. Hmm? So she's the, 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 the original Shakti. So from her, all different forms of the Shakti manifest hmm? for serving Krishna just in the right mood at the right time. And she's, all of them, Combined, so sometimes she has to push everybody away because she knows only I can please Krishna at this, this time. Hmm? Her objective is only to please him, something like that. Hmm? So, this particular type of gopi is very peculiar because the one, ones who are speaking here they have no interest in having direct romantic relationship with Krishna. Hmm? They have instead made themselves handmaidens of Radha. Hmm? They, they, it's interesting because we're talking about the idea that Krishna is seen not as God because if you see him as God, you can't, you go, oh my God, it's God. I can't just kiss him. <laughs> it's God. Uh, I can't just slap him on the back as a friend. It's God. So the idea here, theologically, is that for there to be intimacy between us, the finite, and the infinite, the infinite has to take a finite-like appearance to make that possible and cover himself, so to speak. Hmm? Hmm? So the gopis are in this drama of the leela, hmm? the play of God, and they don't know that Krishna's God, and Krishna's forgotten that he's God too, because he's really playing well in the role. Hmm? <laughs> And they're praying, they think, they're saying, Radha has prayed well to God, and therefore she's got to be uh, the apple of Krishna's eye, and, and so forth. And they're saying this because they've, they've used this word, Aniyaraditu, because Radha's name is contained within it, because they know these are the footprints of Radha. How do they know that? Because they are the handmaidens of Radha. Now, when we speak about having intimate love for Krishna, like a friend, like a lover, and so forth. Hmm? And not knowing that he's God, having gone that far into, into bhakti, hmm? that deep, if you will. Hmm? There's a process for that, of course, to arriving at that. Hmm? That's one thing. But now, here we find these devotees have a relationship with Radha, also as the, the counter whole of Krishna, Right? They're both the Godhead, Radha and Krishna. Hmm? Shakti and Shaktiman, the energy and the energetic source. Hmm? Like speech and its meaning. Hmm? Like musk and its scent. Uh, they're one and different at the same time, something like that. So the interesting thing here, one of the interesting things here, for some of you a little more acquainted with the teaching, is that Radha is the object of service. Krishna may be this or that, but Radha is more of a deity. Do you understand? She is more godlike in this sense. Hmm? The friends of Krishna, there are cowherd male friends of Krishna in the Leela. 
who have also relationship with Radha. But what's the nature of that relationship? They feel themselves servants of Radha. These gopis, these handmaids, they're servants of Radha. They have a kind of dasya or servitude towards Radha. Hmm? Some, she's very exalted. Hmm? Something like that. When Nityananda Prabhu saw Chaitanya Mahaprabhu manifest as Radha at a distance, he he paid his respects. Something like that. It's an interesting point for those of you a little more familiar. Hmm? The same familiarity, if you will, is not manifest in relation to Radha. Her handmaidens have a dasyabhav, hmm? servitude. Hmm? And, and, and so they know everything about her. They massage her feet. They know what they could understand. This is her feet. Hmm? And they're very pleased because they have the service attitude. They only want to unite Radha with Krishna. There's a strategy involved in this. They think, if I was to have direct romantic relationship with Krishna, spiritual, I mean, I should give you an example. I, I've given this before for some of you who are less familiar. These stories are very interesting. They have an erotic kind of overtones, if you will. Somebody once asked me that, uh, Swami, in this drama, this leela, deep within the subjective, transcendental, meditative world, you talk about these affairs, and is, I want to know, is there any real sex that goes on there? And I said to him, no, you don't understand. There is no real sex in the material world. Hmm. What we do here is like a pathetic kind of <laughs> uh, shadow, perverted expression of what these texts are talking about. There's some similarity hmm, in form, but in substance, they're very, they're, they're no, there's no selfishness involved. Hmm? Completely selfless on each part. Krishna's selfless, gopis are selfless, hmm? so forth. So, so... They have this, these gopis have this worshipable attitude towards Radha. They are in Dasyabhav. Hmm? They're serving her. They know her feet. Hmm? They've identified this is Radha. And they're very happy. The point is very happy because they, they want to reunite Radha with Krishna. Other gopis have a direct relationship with Krishna for his pleasure. Hmm? But they think, these gopis, they think no one can satisfy Krishna more than Radha. So, if I compete with Radha, I'm never going to win hmm? and please Krishna more. Why don't I please and serve the apple of Krishna's eye? Hmm? Subordinate myself to the one who embodies the greatest love of Krishna. Hmm? This is very intelligent, you see. And then Krishna's saying, well, they're very smart. <laughs> he draws their, his attention to them even more. And then the force of their identification with Radha and her every move and facilitating and trying to help her have union with Krishna in the context of the Leela, which has obstacles that don't make it possible the parents get in the way, the, the daytime gets in the way, and, and, and so on and so forth. They assist, and in the context of their assisting, they become so absorbed in Radha that they're so identified with her that in a similar way to like you have these Christian saints who experience the, the sores of Jesus on their hands because they've identified with it. So they experience the bhava of Radha hmm? the way, the, the, in a way that you couldn't by being a competitor. Hmm? Mm-hmm. And they have access to intimate 
intimate affairs of Radha and Krishna because their temperament is such, we're only here to assist. We're only here to assist. Hmm? And we won't tell anybody hmm? what's going on. Hmm? So this is very special. Raghunath Das Goswami in his prayers at Radha Kund, in meditative prayers, he came out with, he said, I have no desire to be the friend. It means the, there are some gopis who are even friends of Radha. They help her, but they're not in a dasyabhav to Radha. Hmm? He said, I can't imagine that. I only want to be a das. He sounds like I want to be lower and lower, but he's going higher and higher. Hmm? The more you serve, the higher you become. It's thought that in this world, if you step on other people's heads, you'll get ahead. But we think that if you have your head stepped on by the right people, because we're always putting our head on the floor, trying to catch the dust of other devotees, that we might we will progress in this way. So the more we serve, the more we the more we have the direct experience. Guru Maharaj once told me, in 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 Vaishnavism. Our experience is indirect. We there's Krishna, there's a servant of Krishna, there's the servant of the servant of Krishna, there's the servant of the servant of the servant of Krishna. Das, das, das means servant, anudas, and that will take the fifth position. The further down the ladder, then the better. It, and by this indirect, apparent uh, distancing oneself from Krishna, you actually become closer. Hmm? So, these gopis are speaking here. They know what they're talking about. Hmm? They understand. This is Radha, and they think, it's success. This is what we wanted, that, that Radha would meet with Krishna alone. And now the others, there are the competitors. This is all a drama, of course. Even the bad guys are good guys. So, so the competitors, they say, well, you know, like Padma, Chandravali's Manjari, she says, she's got a face like a beautiful lotus, she says, Shamsaki, you're touting the glories of Radha here, but what are her glories? She's, you're supposed to be close with her, hmm? but she's left you here, hmm? and gone by herself, and, and so forth. And, uh, and so what kind of friend is she? Hmm? And she's not, uh, she's not sharing Krishna with everybody, and of course, these, 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 these manjaris, they're very pleased to see this. Uh, uh, so they say, no, she's not replying that. And don't think like that, Padma, you don't understand. Hmm? Radha's not doing this in any calculated way. She can't do anything else. That's what she, she she's like a, like, a, like a lotus that's been plucked and put in the river and it just flows with the river. She flows with affection for Krishna. Hmm? She cannot, cannot check herself. Hmm? And so... She comes on to him in a, in a way that, that, it, that he can't resist and so forth. And so there's some discussion like this and they support their, their, their case and so on. And in this way, Radha's name is mentioned. But again, it's mentioned indirectly. So someone says, well, why don't they just come out and say it for everybody else? These are, you know, you're going deep inside and bringing out these, these commentaries and so forth to... They explain the implication. And so, there are other answers, or an answer, there are a number of them, as to why it's indirect. One of the reasons that the name is mentioned indirectly is because, as Krishna says later in the book, Paroksha vada rishaya paroksham cha mama priyam. Paroksha means indirect speech. 
Like if some of you who know me, you'll learn, if you don't, you'll learn, you see, that I often say, boy, it would be nice if this happened. And then I just go off, and I don't like say, you should do this, you should do that. It would be nice if we had this, a thought. Hmm? And then those who are listening clearly think, oh, that's a good idea, we should do that. And then they, they latch on to that and so forth. Hmm? So, um, in indirect speech, it's also very, of course, very relevant to, to lovers' speech because lovers speak in language that only they can understand. They have their own names for one another, and, they, and if you love someone, you can, you, can, you can be in the public and share a joke that nobody else understands, right? And, and have language to express it, and, and so on and so forth. So, the, the, much of the, this is a book. It's called Aras Shastra. So Aras means uh, like uh, this dramatic, poetic language. It's full of indirect speech. Krishna says he likes it very much. It's very pleasing. It's very subtle. Hmm? You know, when you make a point intellectually without coming out and explaining it, and then someone explains it, it kind of takes everything down. <laughs> it's just nice to hear. Yeah, it's very subtle, the point. Something like that. So it's more beautiful. Hmm? More relishable, hmm? and it said, "Paroksha Badarishaya." The rishis they speak largely in this indirect language, and again, as we said earlier, because it's not for everybody, the things they're talking about. And if you want it, you have to pay close attention. Nasta You to pay close attention. You have to listen very carefully what this is about. Love wants to share itself. And it also hides itself because it realizes not everybody can appreciate it. So I wanted to show it everywhere, but oh, it's not being appreciated. So I have to withdraw to a private place. So to understand it and understand this text, that's what sadhana is about. Hmm? The stories here have implications for us as practitioners. And we put those implications in place and we go into the stories and we find deeper meaning than you can on the surface. When the British came to India first thing they wanted to do in order to establish the one true religion, which they thought was Christianity, was we've got to defeat all their books. So they learned Sanskrit. Some of the Germans, too, they, learned, they learned, started learning Sanskrit to show what's wrong with all these sacred texts of the Hindus. And, and the Brahmins kind of chuckled because you, you can't understand the books just by learning Sanskrit. Hmm? It's not just a translatable like this, hmm? especially books like the Bhagavad. Hmm? You have to go deep inside. You have to go. You have to. There's a, the books speak about something that you're supposed to do, which is life transforming. Hmm? And when you do that, you can't be oppressing the the Indian people or anybody else. It's you have to enter a realm that's free from exploitation and suppression and, and so forth. You have to kill the, the 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 suppressing and exploiting nature that you're possessed of. Hmm? The world is full of hunters and the hunted, right? The Bhagavatam says, Jivo, Jivasa, Jivanam. One living being is food for another. That's not a great place to be living in. So you have to take the, the killing, the taking tendency from within you out. Hmm? Someone said to me recent, recently, I was giving a talk about this kind of point, and someone said, well, what about, you know, the, the, the 
mega corporations and they're doing this and they're doing that and exploiting and so forth. And I said, you know, do you know who the they is? You keep using the term they. Who is the they? I said, you are the they. Hmm? On another level, you're seeing a gross form of exploitation that you're resisting to. But why are you resisting it? Because you think that 99% have and 1% has not comparatively. What's the implication of making that complaint? We should have more. Hmm? But having, as I said earlier, is not, it doesn't exist. We don't. Those who have, and the haves and the have-nots, they're both losing. Hmm? It's not a having, being is not about having. Hmm? The sense that being derives from having is false. Hmm? That's why those who have the 90-90%, they're still trying to get more hmm? because they're not fulfilled in that. It doesn't matter how much you have. Hmm? So we may argue that there's good reasons, politically whatnot, or you know, from a relative point of view, to argue against um, exploitation on a corporate level, let's say, for example. But on another level... Why are we arguing? Because we want to take more. We want to have more. That's an illusion. You're a taker on another level. Take the taking out of you. Hmm? This is this is not so easy. You could protest and fast against uh, the corruption and so forth, but to take the corruption out of yourself, ooh, that's another thing. <laughs> that's what sadhana is about, spiritual practice. Uh, it's consuming. Hmm? It's not a fashion. You have to wake up and and go to bed with that in mind. Now my life is orbiting around this. Cure thyself. This is the message of the Gita. Cure thyself. Hmm? As, as if you want to find fault, there's there's one person you can really focus on, and probably for a long time, and it's yourself, right? To improve yourself, and this is a comprehensive approach approach to improving yourself. Hmm? A comprehensive, but not a, not a piecemeal, partial approach. It's what every parent wants their kid to be. That's, but, uh, so to speak, you know, we send them to school for this, or we try that. <laughs> Sadhana, yoga, is for that. For a comprehensive approach of remedying the problem that I am, my present state of consciousness. It's huge. Are there any results? Yeah, here in the mountain there, in a, in a hollow of a tree over there, in a cave over there, somewhere in Mendocino County, I don't know. They, they say they're doing it over there. But who has time for that? You should make time for that. That's what human life is. Hmm? Otherwise, you're just a dwipadapashu, a two-legged animal, pursuing the same thing the animals are pursuing hmm? with your human intelligence and making a mess of the world. Hmm? No. So to go within, not so easy. Sounds good, it's poetic, beautiful, but to do that, just sit there, that's harder than just doing something. Hmm? Just keeping busy hmm? and avoiding the why am I, what am I, these type of questions. And these are what these texts answer to and so forth. Hmm?
So, the and in, in these types of texts, as I'm saying, the, 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 you have to do this sadhana to understand the meaning, the implication. You can't just learn Sanskrit. Hmm? The British learned Sanskrit. And what was their motive? To show that the books are wrong. Well, maybe the books were right. <laughs> if you start out with that in mind, you might, you know, that it's wrong. You, you start with a, not with an objective uh, premise, a, a bias. Another reason why you won't understand the book. These books should be read not to, not to confirm our limited sense of what's good and what's truthful, but to find out the truth that exceeds anything that we could come up with in our head and mandates, as I'm saying, that we have to change our lives radically. You might want to think, I think I'll read that a little later. That was, it sounded good at first. The idea sounded very poetic, but when you talked about having to go there, I realized I have something else to do. I'm a little, little, little too busy for that. So you have to have a good, strong stomach and heart for this. This is a heart surgery type of books, even though beautifully poetically rendered in its narrative form and so forth. The implications are deep and uh, significant for us, compelling. So, hmm, to to understand the implications, the books are written. This book is written largely. It's a rastrasa. It's written largely in indirect language, especially these these leelas. Hmm? So, to write it properly. Hmm, that language has to be used. It's one of the reasons. But now, to just take it a little further, the speaker here is Sukadev. Sukadev was a 16-year-old boy who was naked because he was oblivious to the fact that he didn't have clothes on. He was so internally oriented. Hmm? This is the person speaking about the love affairs of Radha and Krishna. They must be different than ordinary love affairs, otherwise his nakedness would show up to be crude about it. Hmm? it wasn't, it's not a racy novel here. Hmm? He was absorbed in, in these leelas and he was traveling naked, oblivious of the fact that he didn't have any clothes on. Hmm? You understand what these leelas narratives can do? They're, they're not, <laughs> they can take away lust altogether, which is a problem. Hmm? It's a dissatisfied condition. So, Sukadeva speaking. Now, who is Sukadeva? Hmm. Do we understand why why he why he, the gopis are speaking, but through the through the mouth of Sukadev, he's narrating this, so he's paraphrasing, right? He's he's speaking the leela, realizing the leela and speaking it, hmm? and so who is Sukadev? That's a good question. It's hmm? a good question. So it's mentioned in the Brihad Bhagavatamrita of Sanatana Goswami by Krishna, Sanatana, Krishna speaking through the pen of Sanatana Goswami, that, that Sukadeva Goswami, Krishna says, is as dear to me as the Brajabhasis. Hmm? In the commentary of uh, Anandi, hmm? commentary of Chaitanya Chandramrita of Prabodhananda Saraswati, hmm? Anandi makes the comment that this Sukadeva Goswami, it is said in Brihad Bhagavatamrita, Sanatana Goswami, is as dear to Krishna as, as the gopis, hmm? the people of the Braj, the gopi people, gopijana, as as dear to them. Hmm? 
And he concludes, his name is Sukha. Sukha means parrot. Hmm? And so he concludes that, that, that he was a parrot in the leela of Krishna. Hmm? Now that's uh, you know, a feeling type of uh, rendering of the text. He was a parrot. And the parrots stay in the trees and they can see things where other humans can't and so forth. Whether they can understand them, that's another thing, right? So he says he was a parrot previously in the Leela. Hmm? Now, going to another, some of the other pranic texts, it is said that there was a parrot who was, had gone to the Himalayas and Shiva was speaking about Krishna Leela to his wife Parvati. Hmm? The way that Shiva will speak about these leelas is very deeply like philosophical. He spoke like about the leelas, like the famous Sridhar Swami wrote when he commented on the Bhagavatam. So it's kind of a kind of a mixed message there. Is the book about Gyan or is the book about Bhakti? Hmm? So Shiva speaking these leelas to Parvati and is when this emphasis on the gyan side comes, she gets bored. She falls asleep. So Shiva says, so did you understand? And he goes, yes. So he goes on. Did you understand? Yes. Yes, I understand. Did you understand? Understand. And he's thinking, then he, then he looks and he realizes, he gets towards the end, he realizes, Parvati, you fell asleep. Oh yeah, I fell asleep. It was a philosophical side. It was so boring. The stories were really beautiful, and I really liked that part. <laughs> and that's all you really need to hear. But that part. Then who was saying yes? He looks up, and there's a parrot. And he says, Oh, the parrot was listening. Hmm? And I think this is a problem because this kind of teaching should not be just parroted, it has to be spoken with realization. Now the parrot's heard this, he may just go and speak it without explanation. People will misunderstand. So I should capture this parrot. Of course, it's hard to catch a parrot, so the parrot flew away. And Shiva chased the parrot. Hmm? Parrot flew to the him, to the to the to the hermitage of Vyas, who was the well, and there he was with his wife, and he's the he's the one who authored the original texts of the Bhagavatam hmm? and the Bhagavad Purana. So Shiva's chasing the parrot, and meanwhile. Vyasa's wife is yawning, and the parrot flies into the story. Flies into the mouth of, of the wife of Vyasa, and hides inside her. <laughs> huh? So, so, Shiva says, "Hey, you know this this parrot? Like, this is why I'm chasing him." And, and Vyasa says, "Hey, the parrot heard the Bhagavad. That can only be a good result, you know. I'm not going to speak. I don't know how I'll get her out of there, but anyway." So Shiva, you know, says, "Fine." Now it said. That, that Vyasa thought, well, maybe you know we should try to have a child, and maybe the parrot will come out too, or something like that. So, the parrot, this is Sukadev, hmm? and he stays in the womb. The story is for sixteen years. Sixteen years in the womb wouldn't come out. It was a problem. Hmm? Hmm? Meanwhile, the reason that this parrot from the Braj, from the village, had left was because Krishna's Leela moved from this area to the metropolitan area, metropolitan Leela. And, this, and this, the parrot was only attracted to the stories of Krishna, these romantic stories in, in, in the Braj. 
without knowing the full meaning of them, but it had some taste for them, some initial taste. I like this. This is nice. When she heard, the parrot heard for the stories explained by Shiva, kind of, kind of got it there. It was pretty interesting, but then flew into the mouth of Vyasa's wife and took shelter there, and then then Vyas was concerned, this child's not coming out. I don't know what happened to the parrot, but this child's not coming out. And so he stayed, the story has stayed for 16 years. Now, 16 years is, of course, sweet 16. That's when it all, you know, the world goes on tilt, right? Hmm? All of a sudden, it's different than I thought. Hmm? And so this is a time when one is very susceptible to, like, like foregoing reason, out the, out goes out the, out the door, something like that. So Sukadev had heard, in the form of the parrot, the parrot had heard, first heard the, saw the leelas and was attracted to them, then heard some explanation from Shiva, a par, kind of a partial explanation of the implications and so forth. Hmm? And then, uh, chased by Shiva, who gets a little angry sometimes, there's reasons for that, but anyway, then then hiding in the in in the womb and not coming out because had heard a certain way about the leelas from Shiva that he had developed a fear of Maya. Didn't want to come out because the world is distracting. Hmm? It has the power to distract one. One should realize Brahman, go within. So he didn't want to be distracted, so he wouldn't come out. Hmm? realized soul, he wouldn't come out. But it's a problem for the family, obviously. And so, what to do? Vyas brought Krishna there from, from Dwarka, from the, from the city, and explained the problem. There's this child won't come out. So Krishna said, all right, let me, I mean, let me assure the child that upon coming out, he will not be distracted by maya. Hmm? So Krishna gives this impression and uh, conveys this to the, the child in the womb, and so he feels okay. Krishna is the supreme Brahman. I heard it from Shiva, hmm? and uh, and so he's above Maya. So he's given me this blessing. I won't be distracted by Maya. So thank you, Krishna, for freeing me from Maya. I'll come out. And of course, he comes out at sixteen, which is a time when he could be most ripe to be distracted. Hmm? But, he was, but he, he was brought out by Krishna, who is the transcendental Cupid, it said, who defeats Cupid. This leela, this romantic leela, is called Kambijai, by another name, means by which lust is conquered hmm? through the attraction for Krishna. So he came out at 16, but, hmm, but uh, under the influence of Krishna. It means Krishna has the power hmm? even to even to save a 16-year-old from the problems of life. So what to speak of a, of a, of a person who's a, a little more mature hmm, to hear these things and so forth. So, so anyway, then he comes out and immediately goes to the forest. Hmm? There he's meditating. But his father is Vyas, and Vyas knows the Bhagavatam better than Shiva. Hmm? Deeper implications. So... Vyas takes some verses from the Bhagavatam about Krishna Lila that are pregnant with his own impressions of them and gives them to the woodcutters who go to collect firewood. Hmm? 
says, sing these songs when you're in the forest, and my boy may hear them and realize he still has something to learn. Hmm? He is Atmaram, he's taking pleasure in the self, but he doesn't know the Ananda. He knows the self, the Ananda of the self, but he doesn't know the Ananda of Bhakti. Hmm? So Sukadev hears the verses, then he comes, follows the woodcutters, and it's, oh, he's back at his father's place. And there he sits, and then he hears the Bhagavatam from Vyas. And then he's enlightened with regard to the bhakti perspective. Hmm? And now he can wander in the world. He's not in the forest anymore. He can go through the world. He's unaffected by it entirely. He's not hiding from the world. Hmm? He's oblivious to its influence, which shows up in the form of his... He's unaware he's, that, he's, that, he's, that he's not wearing clothes. And he comes by the transcendental arrangement into the assembly where the king, the emperor of India, is sitting on the bank of the Ganges, having been cursed to die in seven days. And he sits on the bank of the Ganges and says, I'm sitting here and I want to know what is the meaning of life, what, is, what one should be preoccupied with, what to do at the time of death. It's like President Obama decided to go to the bank of the Mississippi and ask meaningful questions. The newspapers are all there reporting, the pundits and so forth. What is he going to say? What Offering him different suggestions and answers and so forth. And in walks this 16-year-old naked boy and everybody goes, whoa, he must know what it's all about. He has, he, they all stand up and Sukadev begins to speak. He becomes the guru of the emperor. The boy, naked boy, becomes the guru of the emperor. Hmm? Hmm. Learning can come from unexpected places. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> don't deny it because you think it shouldn't have come from there, but it seems to be. But don't, no, follow your heart. Follow your heart. Hmm. Go there. Hmm. Krishna's coming. Hmm. So he begins to speak. He knows that the message of the Bhagavad, this is, this is how to end the problem of death altogether, comprehensively. Hmm? Death is a problem because we think things belong to us and somebody's taking them away and we should be able to keep them and we want them, Hmm? but we can't. Hmm? Bhagavatam is about who they actually belong to, which takes out the desire to enjoy them for ourselves from within us Hmm? And, and tracks us to the proper center, to where we can give what? Not what we have, because we have nothing. We can give ourselves. Hmm? If we think we have things, then we can give the things. Hmm? And, and by that, we'll become enlightened that it's ourself that is be placed on the altar. Hmm? So Sugadev begins to speak. He's speaking the Bhagavatam. And as he's speaking it, it's coming out in a new way. That's why Vyas, his father, who taught him the Bhagavatam, is also sitting there. What is he going to say? I taught him this, but the nature of this subject is that we're all students of it forever. So I'm ready to listen to my own students speak about it because new light will come, new insight. Hmm? So Sukadeva is speaking, and he's speaking at this point. It's reaching the climax of the book. And he reaches the climax of the book, and it's the unique position of Radha that is, is, is the point. But Radha is the parakya lover of Krishna. It means in the Leela she appears to be married to someone else. Hmm? 
and she's sneaking away to meet Krishna. It's immoral, it seems, but it means we all only really belong to Krishna, not to anyone else. That's an illusion. But it is said in the secular, dramatic uh, literature that the parakī or the paramour, the illicit lover, hmm? it's a technical point of uh, in the drama, her name cannot be mentioned. Hmm? Should not be mentioned. And she cannot be an alumbana, ashraya alumbana, a vessel of, of, of rasa, because this is, is like, a, like a man goes to a prostitute, it's a temporary thing. Hmm? It's not going to endure. Hmm? <laughs> Rasa has to endure. If a wife loves a husband, is it formally a, a wife but doesn't love the husband, there can't be Rasa. Stringa Rasa means this romantic Rasa. Hmm? And the prostitute can't be, part, be a, a proper, mm, one of the props or one of the elements of, of Rasa because that's a temporary relationship. Hmm? This is mentioned in Ujbalinmane by Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur and Jiva Goswami. But they say in the case of Radha and Krishna, this is a special drama. This is not a worldly rasa. This is bhakti rasa. Hmm? And the relationship between Radha and Krishna is not temporary. It's an appearance of parakya. Because when, there's, when, when you have a secret lover, there's more like excitement. You have to hide and it, 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 things are ex- accentuated. So it becomes more intense. So the love for Krishna is, is depicted like this, with this kind of intensity. But the nature of Radha's relationship with Krishna is not temporary. It's eternal. So Sukadeva is speaking, and he's, he's speaking in such a way, poetically, and, and, and there's some math to you know how you write poetry or, or music, so he has to take into the, the considerations of Rasa. And her name shouldn't be mentioned but maybe it should be mentioned because she's different than any other parakeel lover. Hmm? And so he's like a moment of confusion, if you will. And he says, I've got to resolve this whole thing. So he says it indirectly. He says it and he doesn't say it. And he conforms with and so forth. And so these are some of the reasons why it's spoken indirectly. If you properly understand the text, then... It has to be understood. It has to be spoken indirectly. And what's also happening is that Sugadev, again, as the parrot, right? he saw the Leela, he understood something. He went to get some explanation from Shiva. He got a partial explanation. Hmm? And, and, and then he heard it from Bias. He got a full explanation. And then he started to put it in practice. And the best way to practice and understand what you've heard is to repeat it. If you've learned something and then you start to speak about it to others, then you learn it again. It's coming out of my own mouth now. I better listen to that. I'm saying this. I heard this from someone. It meant something. Now I'm saying it too. I guess I should be doing this, not just talking about it, right? So when he started to do kirtan, you see, Sukadeva is doing kirtan. He's speaking about it. He's he's, he's expressing. His realization grew. Hmm? And he's reaching the point now. He, now he understands at this verse what this book is all about. And he's kind of like blown away by that. So he's stuttering and, and he's learned, understood it for the first time. Abba, Ra, 
<laughs> so in this way, he speaks it indirectly. Bhagavan Sukadeva ki jai, Sivarastami ki jai, Gornitanindu ki jai. So this is the rather extended brief talk on the subject. And with that, then we conclude the talk by extending the, the diksha, that is the flute sound of Krishna, to some of our uh, students. And um, the way we do that, according to the sacred text, includes a couple of different, uh, five different things. So, yagya, nam, yagya, pundra, tapa, what's the fifth one? Varshamnan. Nam, yagya, oh, uh, mantra. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Name, hmm? uh, uh, yagya means sacrifice, uh, pundra means the marking, we part the marking, the tilak, for Vishnu. Uh, tapa means, means like some, tapa means like, uh, like, some austerity. Hmm? Um, I'll explain that. And and yagya, uh, uh, I say yagya? Mantra. Mantra means to impart the mantra. Hmm? So please come. So the uh, this is the this is the, the dust. Do you know this? This is the this is the clay, the dust from the ground in Vrindavan in India, where Krishna's leelas are manifest. So we take that dust, hmm, the brajraj, it's called, hmm, from the bottom of his feet. Right? We make it into a paste. And we mark our head with this. That is called Pundra, Tilak. Om Keshavaya Namaha. And that's a Tulsi leaf there on that nose. Okay? That is one thing. Now, um, roll up your sleeve. I'll give you the, the tapa. The tapa is a very interesting idea. In some of the lineages, other than ours, the way they do this tapa is they take a branding iron and put it in the fire. And then they brand you with the symbols of Vishnu, like tattoo, the tattoo. Ever have a tattoo? I guess you have. I guess it, I guess it hurts a little bit. We have a softer way of doing that. So we, we, we take this tilak and we will write Krishna's name um, on you. Not so easy to do. An eternal being. <laughs> That'd be easier. Krishna. Say it. Krishna. 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 Okay. There's the tapa. So, Pundra, tapa, and before giving the name and the mantra. Give these beads so they're made out of the Tulsi. 
Okay, that's very good. No, it's just right. Okay, good. Those are the neck beads. Me from the sacred Tulsi, they, they say they protect you. Somebody told me they protect you from radiation. <laughs> I said, no, they... There you go. Okay. Okay, there you go. The other way they protect you is you wear them and people go, what are those beads about? And you go, yeah, what are those beads about? And you have to remember that and explain that. So that's good. Okay, so um, now... Yagya. So yagya means sacrifice, and the sacrifice that we do is, is involves a name, so it's called Sankirtan Yagya, so the chanting. So you're initiated into the, into the circle of the, of the, of the kirtan. Um, so uh, pundra, uh, yagya, uh, tapa, then nam, and mantra. So I will give you the, the, the Hare Krishna mantra in your right ear. Okay, and now I want to give you these beads of chant. How many? How many will you chant every day? Okay, that many times around you start like this. this is a small bead. Goes like the like the like the. Mm-hmm. the you know, this is like the top of the tree. This is like the bottom. So start at the bottom and you go all the way around. That's once. Come back this way twice. So forth. You know how to do it, right? Mm-hmm. You chant on the beads with the thumb. And the middle finger, like this. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Pay attention to that. Okay. So, your name is Ladini, Ladini Shakti. There you go. Okay. Hey, Dasi. <laughs> So Ladini means, it's the name for Radha. Philosophical name for Radha. It means the, 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 the bliss, the ananda of, of bhakti. Hmm? So, now you come. I've given you this, uh, this is the first initiation, and we have a second initiation later, so, at my discretion, so let me give you the mantra, the main mantra. Okay? So all the members here, we ask you please make a prayer for these devotees that they make progress in their bhakti. Shri Gaurnatananda ki jai, Bhakti Devi ki jai, Shri Radhastami Mahamotvititi ki jai, Antaraj Simad Bhagavatam ki jai, Kukamuni ki jai, Or Bhakti Vrinda ki jai, Gaur Premanandi. Vanchakalpa Kriya Vishya, 